We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. <laughs> Suck it, Toronto. To think that, that a season is championship or championship is, is um, certainly the way we've approached it. To the Miami Heat fans, it was, uh, you're despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Milwaukee, we dogs! James Harden is a massive choker, and he is a bum. Bum. Finals MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Karma. Karma, bitch. Chris, you did it, huh? Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 115. This is Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are we doing on this evening? It's been rough here in the Twin Cities because we just got a foot of snow the other day. And I tried to roll out our 1970s ass snowblower that our landlords left us in the building. I've been pulling at that starting whatever the whatever the hell you call it that you pull what, what is it called i'm trying to think of the term whatever that is whatever you have to pull to jump start it <laughs> it's not working so i had to hand shovel everything my arms my back my like neck everything is super sore because it's that sort of wet snow too so i had to do the entire driveway all the sidewalk our front area all by shovel and we don't have a big shovel either and I couldn't just throw it in the neighbor's yard. So I mean, it was just, it's been a disaster for the past 48 hours in terms of snow. But otherwise, I'm doing good. How about you, Kyle? I, I am good. It's funny because on Friday, I was walking Geo and I was like, I should really get, because my snowblower has been in our shed since last, since May. And I was like, I should really get it out of the shed and put it in our garage. Like, it's getting time. And lo and behold, it started raining Friday night. So I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to rain. And then I woke up and it's just ice and snow. And I was like, Yep, um, and it was not enough snow to shovel it, so I was like, I'm just going to let nature do its thing and hope for the best that it melts. And as I look across the street, I see my neighbor shoveling his snow and throwing salt over it. And by this morning, all the snow melted, so I was like, I'm glad I didn't waste my time doing that. But otherwise, things are good. Yeah, things are good. How about you, Adam? How are you? Well, it was, uh, I'm scared to say this. It was 70 degrees in Philadelphia yesterday. Uh, quite warm. I was, I was seems, thinking. It seems like, unseasonably warm, if I was to guess. It I believe it might have been a record high, and it was also accompanied by 45 mile an hour winds, um, which does not, isn't, isn't a normal occurrence out here. Where do you put the snow, Riley? I'm curious. When, so, like, where are you shoveling it? This is, it rarely snows out here, but I don't really have anywhere to put it because there's not really like big streets. I'm on a side street. I basically just shovel it directly into the street. Okay. <laughs> so, that's, that's a, that's definitely the move because the snowplow will come through eventually. But I believe the city says you shouldn't do that. So, I have enough of a yard in the front and the back that I can just put, like, create a mountain of snow. Mm. But the issue is, once it starts getting to a certain height and you have to keep throwing like to build on top of it, that's what kills the upper arms for sure. So I have enough of a yard to be able to toss it, but it's just like, you have to walk it there and then you have to throw it over and over again. So that's, that's my trick. But every once in a while, if I'm feeling petty, I will toss a little bit right in the street just to see if something. Oh, I do that all the time with the snowblower. (laughs) I just have it shoot forward (laughs) to the street because 
I know that snowplow is not coming through for at least another 12 hours. So it's all the other cars can pack it down. It's going to be fine. And I already know I'm going to have to go back out again because the snowplow comes again 12 hours after everyone else gets it. So by the time I'm done, I'm like, cool. And then you just see a giant pile at the end of your driveway. And it's like, shit, I have to do this again. So, no, I throw it on the road because I'm petty. And I know it's going to be some time before the snowplow comes through. Kyle's the type of uh, he's he's snow blowing and he doesn't let up when traffic comes through. He just keeps it going. He keeps on the hammer and he's like, you know, I'm driving through my arc here. So I don't know. What it, you're you know, either about. you have to stop or I have to stop. And I am <laughs> on a mission to get out of here as fast as possible. Why are you driving? The way you were describing Kyle approaching the snow, the snow blowing is, I would say, somewhat reminiscent of the way Dante DiVincenzo approaches the court. When he is out there with the basketball, either you're stopping or I'm getting stopped and uh, th- there's no way we're, we're, we're going to reach an impasse here. So the good news is we'll be graced once more by Dante DiVincenzo's presence, uh, apparently on Wednesday, per Sham Sharania, who uh, annoyingly didn't put the information in a tweet, instead put it in a video which I, I haven't really seen any other ones, but this is now two Sham Sharania videos I've had to watch this season for pertinent Bucks information, <laughs> which is two more than I would like to watch uh, really ever. But interestingly enough, uh, DiVincenzo, seemingly based on the reporting, maybe coming back a little earlier than we thought. I, I wasn't really anticipating this. I kind of figured maybe it would be next year, as in January 2022, maybe February, who knows. But Kyle, we're getting Dante DiVincenzo back. Any just, uh, how are you feeling? Let's just, before we get into the, the court stuff, how are you feeling about having him back? I, I feel great. I feel like I'm the only person in our group chat that still believes in Dante, that actually wants to keep Dante on the roster. So as the only person in that camp, it is good to see him back. I think this actually works out perfectly for him. The expectations are low. We don't need him to be great. We don't need him to be good. We just need him to be healthy. And then he can slowly ramp up game time. He'll eventually get back in the rotation. He could be a great sixth man, seventh man. You know what? It's going to be great. It's going to be good for him. And he's going to have a chance to prove that he can get another contract, whether it's Milwaukee or elsewhere. We, he'll jump into the passing lanes. Him and Drew are going to cause chaos when they're on the lineup together. I am excited. It is good for Dante. And like I said, since I'm the only one that still believes in him, I, I need him to do pretty well to justify my belief. I would echo a lot of those sentiments. It's I'm not a believer in Dante. When we move him on, I'll salute him, and then I will forget that he was a buck for however long he was for his 1.5 seasons that he actually played for us. Um, it's nice to have him back simply because he will be coming off the bench by virtue of getting ramped back up, and Grayson's already got the starting spot. He makes way more sense coming off the bench. I think that was his like ideal role, his first two seasons – um, last year was a bit of an aberration. I think it was asking him to do too much to like limit the way that he played his game around the other starters. And so if you get another guy, like a combo guardy guy, who can plug into a couple minutes off the bench, uh, whether that be because somebody's getting a night off or, um, he just find a better fit with some, like he finds a good fit within a particular lineup. That's great. So I'm excited just because it's always nice to have talented, more talented players on the roster. And even though Dante is not talented enough to warrant a starting spot, he definitely is talented enough to warrant a spot in the rotation. And we'll just kind of figure it out. There's nothing wrong with having like competition between him and a couple other guys off the bench for like, who's going to get these minutes because uh, 
we need as much like production off the bench as possible. And if this pushes Dante to like play up to his level that he's capable of without being way over the top, like he was at times last season, I think that's a win for everybody involved. Yeah. I was going to say, Kyle, I mean, we've seen Bud cycle through a lot of different players on the bench so far. He's he's really ha- partially due to injuries to other players, but I'm just curious how you think Dante might fit into the rotation now. I think he'll, like Riley said, he'll get his minutes kind of slowly ramping up each time, but I think by the playoffs, he'll definitely be one of Bud's guys that'll come off the bench. I think it's good because it also reduces the need to rely on George Hill and kind of takes the minutes off of George Hill, which is going to be good down the road. Um, George Hill is definitely someone you want for the playoffs. You don't need him. You don't want him logging in 30 minutes consecutively too much. So I think for that, it's going to be good. I don't think it affects anyone else like Pat Connaughton. I don't think it affects his minutes. Maybe he'll take a little bit more minutes from someone like Rodney Hood and Wes Matthews potentially. Um, But otherwise, I think it's just going to be, you know, he'll probably be in around a 15 to 20 minute side, kind of the same as Pat Connaughton. I'm sure Bud will definitely mix him in with the starters since he has that chemistry with them. Probably has him, you know, maybe taking on some more ball handling responsibilities uh, along with George Hill. So I think it's just going to, he'll, I think him being off the bench is probably for the best. And come playoff time, it wouldn't be, I don't think he's going to be in a closing lineup, but it wouldn't surprise me, depending on the situation, if Dante's in a closing lineup over. Um, Grays and Allen. I'm sure Pat Connaughton will surpass both of them in terms of being in a closing lineup, but I think that's what I see as him more as a 15 to 20 minute uh, minutes per game. Takes that takes those minutes from West Matthews and probably takes some of the minutes from George Hill as well. Yeah, I like the idea of if he's out there with George Hill, he can help spell George Hill a couple of possessions on defense, especially because especially early in the season when we were down a bunch of guys, it was like George. Do what you can on defense. Uh, you're probably going to have to, because there's no other like guard-sized guy besides Pat Connaughton to get out here and like help guard whoever the guard is. So now, if you want to spell a Drew for a couple of minutes on the bench, and then you have like George Hill and Dante out there, that's like a decent pairing, I would think, on both ends. Uh, and you have Dante take the lead assignment on defense, and you have George Hill take the lead assignment on offense and kind of work it up from there. So I think there are balances that Dante can find within even the bench lineups uh whether or not he plugs in and he's immediately like better than a Rodney Hood or a Wes Matthews I don't know uh we're gonna have to see but um I would expect him to look sort of bad to start because even though he's been progressing I think I'm sure they've been like cautious with it Uh, it still takes a little bit of time to like get used to like trusting your feet again especially because he's broken his feet like a bajillion times in his career already um and then it's it's also just for him, can he make the adjustment mentally from I was like the starter on a playoff bound and eventually title winning team up until, you know, I got injured in the first round. How has the dynamic changed now that Grayson is here? We traded for Grayson and paid him. We did not pay Dante and Dante's going to be coming off the bench. So I think that's something to keep an eye on too. I doubt we'll see that in any sort of like notable way in the very beginning of this of his like season but uh that'd be something i'll keep an eye on as well as like how does he stay focused when his long-term future is more likely than not not in milwaukee yeah yeah it it will be an interesting approach to to this year i mean there's always the the concept of you know like a contract year or whatever whether he'll he'll be able to be putting his best foot forward which might be neither own because they're always hurt (laughs) but like uh the thing I think Kyle definitely had a, had a very uh, intelligent point in that it's not really 
to me, it's not that important whether Dante comes off the bench uh, or starts. It's really about is he actually going to fit into that that closing lineup? Is he gonna is he gonna be able to be a member of the the potential small ball closing lineup that that Bud really found success with down uh, down the stretch and in the playoffs last year? We've seen a couple of different people in the in the Knicks game on on Sunday. Rodney Hood was closing the game, sort of, which inexplicably, but it just happened to be he happened to be playing well, which was a sight for sore eyes from him. And then we also saw Wes Matthews get the call to do a closing lineup in a, in a game earlier this week. So, but we've also seen Grayson Allen hit some big shots earlier this year too. So I, I'm really curious to see the dynamic and, and see how DiVincenzo fits in Kyle in terms of those, the, the, those core group and, and how he's going to be on the floor late in games more, even more so than to start games. I think it'll be interesting just because you would think Dante knows how to play with, the supposed closing lineup of Bobby, Giannis, Chris, and Drew. But uh, it might be a little bit different just because those guys all found the rhythm at the same time, and then Dante was hurt during this period. And then you start the season, and despite the mix and matching, you, you can kind of see was Bobby starting. It's like they figured it out. I think Dante and Pat in the closing lineup would be good because Dante. I think Dante would at the very least know – how to play with all those guys and play with Pat off the bench. But I think it also might be a good thing as if Dante's in the closing lineup, he is going to try and stay within his lane. I think he's going to, you know, take the open threes if he has to. He'll drive to the hoop, which I think can cause some problems for the opposing defense. But it really is going to be interesting in the late games defensively. I think that's where I'm more curious. Does he still do those gambles on defense? Is he still going to be as you know, tenacious and gambling pre-injury as he like post-injury as it was pre-injury. And that I think is going to be the curious thing. I think he'll get there, but it wouldn't surprise me if he's, you know, a steps too slow to start off with and eventually gets, you know, more condition and a little bit more used, more comfortable. Um, but it also will be interesting just because most likely you're not going to have Brooke bailing you out behind you in case you do get burned on that occasion. So maybe Dante is a little bit more reserved since he doesn't have, you know, a Brook just standing there in the paint. So even if that guy does get past Dante, Brook's right there. Yes, Giannis can definitely do it. Yes, Bobby can try his best, but it's not going to be the same. So maybe Dante doesn't gamble as much because he knows that security blanket isn't there. Is Dante going to be competing mostly with Wes Matthews for minutes? Do you think that's the matchup? Because Pat's going to get minutes for sure. And George Hill is obviously going to get minutes for sure as a point guard. Is it Wes and Dante are pretty much, if the, if the, uh, the rotation got shortened up quite a bit. Would it be between those two guys? Do you think in your mind, I would assume probably. Yeah. 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 I'm just curious because I mean, there's not radically, I don't know. They're pretty different players. Wes Matthews is a lot more of like traditional can body guys, a lot bigger than him defender, a proven shooter. Whereas Dante has been kind of hit or miss, but Dante assuming his athleticism has taken a huge hit, probably has enough over Wes. And again, he's more of a chaos agent. So I'll, It'll be interesting seeing as the season wears on and assuming both guys are still on the roster by the time we need to start shortening the rotation, which way Bud ends up going, um, the proven kind of vet guy or like the chaos agent, more athletic guy in Dante. That, that's just something I'll be keeping an eye on too, I guess. Real quick, what are we thinking? Uh, so Riley, are you team trade Dante by the trade deadline or what's your what's your view on him? Um, the way that I view it is what John Horse wants, I follow. And what John Horse wanted a year and a half ago was Dante <laughs> in a Sacramento King jersey. 
I agree with that. I think we need to be making that happen. Because uh, now now that I think about it, right, when you look at, yeah, I'm just on basketball reference, just the play-by-play for, like, who's the shooting guard or whatever, we have enough dudes already on the roster who can feasibly play it. And it's not that Dante's a net negative. I think he is a net positive. But for his contract situation, for we'll find out starting Wednesday what his health looks like, what his athleticism, athleticism looks like. Um, but I think we have enough dudes who can fill into his spot where at this point he's probably a surplus player. Uh, and I would see if you could trade him, whether or not there's any feasible return that isn't just like selling for pennies on the dollar. Uh, that, if that's the only deals you have, then it probably makes more sense. Like Kyle said, just to have him, just because it's a talent infusion, we know what he can do. We know he knows how to play within the system. Uh, but I'm for sure Dante's getting put by the curb to see if somebody will roll around and make a Craigslist type offer for him. Be like, uh, we'll take him off your hands for this player who could be useful for you. So I'm definitely on team trade Dante. Kyle. Wait, you have to be on team. Keep Dante. Oh yeah. Right? I am. I am okay. riding this thing out until we absolutely <laughs> cannot anymore. That is where I stand. I am not budging on it unless Dante gets into some problematic issues. Well, the, the difficulty about Dante is like, okay, Pat Connaughton is theoretically going to get paid a bajillion dollars next year. You would hope he gets paid a bajillion dollars by us. But the fact that the Bucks would have control over him to be like, oh, well, we could have Grayson starting and Dante coming off the bench and like in a long-term capacity. So I wonder how that's going to fit into the arithmetic of like, he's a known commodity within our system. We have team control over him, whereas Pat... You're rolling the dice. If you get rid of Dante, like, will Pat come back next year and help fill in some more of those, like, you know, small forward shooting guard minutes? So th- that's something to keep an eye on. And I'm, I'm not sure if the team would go for it. But again, if I was up there, I'd be trying to trade him if I could, possibly. Yeah, I think a, a sign and trade scenario seems semi potentially likely. I mean, those are always a, kind of a crapshoot. But also, there could be a team that if they're high on Dante, wants to get him you know, maybe wants to get him and have the restricted free agency abilities to be able to match any offer sheet that another team throws out there. So that could be a reason why a team might be coming for him a little early, but we, you know, he's just been so often on the court his first couple of years that I, even if I was another team that was high on, it might be a little, little wary of, of bringing him in. Um, let's touch on one more thing before we talk about the games. Uh, there was just some, there's just been some, you know, some general, chatter in the air given the uh, the Pacers reported um, predilection to, to blow it up finally trade some of their pieces I think there's been some healthy debate on on Bucks Twitter especially about bringing potentially trying to target Miles Turner how would he fit in is he someone the Bucks should be looking at I just figured I would open up the floor to allow uh, comments on, on the sort of Miles Turner debate before Kyle goes, because I know Kyle has <laughs> a deep, deep exhale from Kyle there. Uh, the whole Miles Turner thing, I have no idea why the Pacers would trade Miles Turner to us. Uh, if the return for Miles Turner to them is Dante, who we just listed, might be a uh, bit of a gamble. And then Brooke, who literally just re- surgically repaired his back and we have no idea what he's going to look like plus whatever, like Jordan Wara. I'm sorry. Like, I appreciate trying to sell our assets for all they're worth. That is not going to be enough to get a Miles Turner-esque player, I couldn't imagine. So uh, as much as I appreciate the debate, it just does not seem at all realistic for us to get involved in the sweepstakes. And I'll let Kyle take over from there. Yeah, it's honestly just one of those where 
there's no realistic way you could do it unless you trade Brook, which Bucks aren't going to do. And if you want to go for Miles Turner during free agency, fine, whatever. But I am not. There's nothing about Miles Turner that screams the Bucks must absolutely get him. There's nothing about him that screams that to me. It's not. It's not worth shipping off. You know, second round picks and your basically. You're going to send your only assets in Dante, Jordan Wara, and whatever second rounders you somehow still have for a guy that he's good. I'm not going to deny it. he's not talented, but at the same time, there's nothing about him that makes me go, yes, do what it needs. Like Drew Holiday, when that trade happened, it was a yes, do what you need to get someone like Drew Holiday. That was the kind, those are the kind of guys that you have to look and say, yeah, do it. Otherwise, you're just going to get a guy that he's already said he doesn't want to be a glorified role player, and that's exactly what he's going to be in Milwaukee. Like he's literally going to be at best the fifth option, not even he's going to be the sixth option because you still have Giannis and Chris and Drew and Bobby and Pat all ahead of him, and maybe even Grayson Allen if that happens. So you're looking at a guy that doesn't want to be a glorified role player. That's exactly what's going to be in Milwaukee. Maybe winning will change that, but. Uh, there's nothing about him that makes me scream. You have to get him at all costs. Just wait until 2023, wait until free agency, then make your move for him and see what you can get. But uh, it, it, I just don't see anything about him that makes me super enamored with him. Yeah, I do. I mean, he's, he, he obviously is a fine rim protector. Teams don't, you know, opponents don't shoot very well against him. I guess for me, like Kyle said, I hadn't, I did not read the piece where Miles Turner apparently really opened up about his role, but apparently there was a quote about him not wanting to stand it. Just, he doesn't just want to stand in the corner. Uh, and when I heard that, I, I thought, I'm not sure if he'll, I'm not sure if this is a great fit for you, uh, Mr. Turner. And also it's like, I, I, I do think the Bucks have a, a very nice allocation of resources at the moment whereby, I mean, maybe Miles Turner could stay on the court, but like in reality, the the best part about Brooke is that he was he could be really good and stay on the court for for playoff series that that really matter. But then you saw in like the Phoenix series and and the Hawks series, he could play about twenty four minutes. And it's nice to have a center where you're allocating you know twelve million like a, a mid tier level contract to him, well below when you have three guys who are making huge max level contracts. It's just it's a it's an allocation of resources that I don't think would be super worth it to the Bucks given how much they're paying to to everyone else and the realities of, of, of the luxury tax situation. And realistically, we're probably going to be staring down in a few years when they want to try and duck the repeater tax or whatever. So um, theoretically, which I know is not our problem, but like theoretically, we're probably going to have to deal with that. And I, it doesn't seem worth it to me to try and invest what Miles Turner might demand for his salary. He's already up around, I think, 20 million a year. He sounds like a guy who's angling to absolutely feast in Oklahoma City for the next eight years, winning 15 games annually, but he is going to play 40 minutes a night. So I wish Miles the best of luck. Uh, I appreciate complaining in some way to get out of Indiana, but it already sounded like the team was working to get rid of you. So I don't know if that was necessary. It just seems a little extra to give all these different delineations. Like I would just hope for a team that will love me enough to pay me a lot of money after this next contract. So uh, again, everything does not seem to line up to make it a uh, possible one for the Bucks. If they like traded for him, would I be like, oh my God? I mean, I'm sure we'd be able to make it work, but I just don't see it happening. All right. Well, let, let's move on to the games. I believe we all predicted a three and one record for the Bucks this week. And I that that is indeed what they went three and one. I can't remember what we all said, the specificity of what we said in terms of who they would lose to. 
I think if we, is, if I, well, same if is correct. We were yes, we were all exactly correct about how the Bucks did this last. I week. don't know. I think uh, I still said they beat the Heat, but lose the Cavaliers because it was a back to back, and Giannis might not have been back. I may have said that. Maybe. All right. Well, Kyle holding himself incredibly accountable. <laughs> I just his. want to admit that I thought the Bucks would lose to the Heat. That's just what I'm yeah. doing. I'm never going to do that. It is. Yeah. I, I can't think of a game. We'll get to this. Whatever. The Heat game was not very fun. It never is fun losing to them. The Cavaliers game, though, I actually thought was probably the most entertaining Cavaliers game since LeBron James left the, the Cavs. Definitely. Uh, so Giannis goes for all three of the Bucks. you know, big three. Goes for 20-plus. Drew hits 20, 8 assists. Chris has 21, 8 assists. Giannis, 27 points, 12 rebounds. It's on, it's on 19 shots. Uh, a really good performance by the Cavaliers, sort of new uh, new and improved front court. Jared Allen has 25 points. He looked really, really good in that game. Evan Mobley also was really impressive with his ability to he, – he, he wasn't huge, and he wasn't huge in the points category, but I thought he was pretty good out there with his passing and connecting with the Cavaliers. But Jared Allen definitely – um, gave Giannis a, a, a little bit of fits at the basket. Is that was my impression coming out of the game, and then I checked the box score again, and I was like, "Well, twenty-seven points, twelve rebounds, still kind of dominated them, only two assists." So I don't know, Kyle. What do you think of the uh, the Cavaliers game and the Bucks' ability to to put that you know frisky young team away? Yeah, see that Jared Allen. That's a guy where I'm like, "Yeah, you you do what it takes," because that guy is good. I will fully admit that. So Jared Allen. That's the guy that Bucks fans, I think Miles Turner wants to be. Jared Allen is that guy. But to counter it, it's weird. The Cavaliers are a weird team with their injuries. Um, I'm pretty sure they just threw a bunch of bigs out there. It was like, okay, you're not going to score on the against the rim. We're going to make sure you have to hit your three pointers. And Milwaukee did that. I mean, they hit 13 threes and shot forty shot forty percent. Bucks still had 44 points of the paint, but it was just weird. They would throw lineups with like Alan Mobley and Markinen or Alan Mobley and Kevin Love. You know, Seti Osman was kind of their de facto point guard, which is weird. And the Cavaliers are definitely a weird team. Um, they're also a team that just could not hit a three. And I think they were just pesky enough and just annoying enough where the Bucks could never fully put the game away. But it felt as though you felt Milwaukee could always win. But it wasn't a, okay, the Bucks are eventually going to go up by 20-something points and end the game comfortably. It was kind of a, it's always going to be within that five to eight range. And you just and the Bucks could get a three, and then the Cavaliers would hit a three back. Or the Cavaliers would get it to three, and the Bucks would hit a three. It, it, that's what it felt like to me. Um, good on Pat Connaughton once again. Three or four from three and hit all his free throws. So that was good. Somehow it was a minus 12, which seems a little harsh. But otherwise... Other than Grayson Allen, and, and Bobby Portis didn't have the best game, but he was a monster rebounding ball, so it made up for you know not hitting his shots. But I, I think this was a game where the Bucks just simply were a better team and had better players than the Cavaliers. But that's not to say the Cavaliers didn't play well. It's just the, the Bucks are better. Did you guys get, like, vibes from, it's probably like five years ago, maybe a little bit longer, that image of, very young Giannis, John Henson, and Larry Sanders all like holding their arms like length to length. And everybody will be like, we're getting all the long dudes on the squad. I kind of got that feeling a little bit from the Jared Allen, Larry Markinen, and Evan Mobley trio. What a Kyle's 100% right. What a weird starting lineup to run out there. Like, I went back to like watch some of the highlights. I was like, it's so strange that Laurie Markinen is like, like Pat Connaughton is out there having to like, 
push, like try and box Laurie Barkin and out on the post or whatever. Uh, It's interesting because in theory, as that trio, I don't even know if that's like their traditional trio, but if those three get a lot of minutes, you know, that's a lot of length, especially Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, who are so such natural defenders, like to be able to really wall off the rim, but I'm not sure if they're fully there yet. And the issue for the Cavs offensively is like, yes, they could mostly, I think the Bucks only took 32 threes, which is pretty low for them. Uh, obviously, as you said, Adam, the big three are all successful. Giannis usually is pretty good against long defenders. It's like stout defenders that can knock him off his like momentum. That's when he has a problem. So I wasn't surprised that Giannis had like a decent game. But the problem for the Cavaliers was, yes, they have all this size, but I don't know if their guys know how to like really utilize it on offense so much yet. So like the number of possessions where it's like, okay, Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton is like bodying up Evan Mobley to try and just please keep him out of position and please don't get the ball over here because he has a foot and a half on me. Ton of possessions like that. And the Cavs are not able to like swing the ball quick enough or do an action to get the ball over to that guy. Um, So I think in this case, Yes, the Cavs are a strange team. Uh, not exactly like the personnel type to really slow Giannis down. Uh, and when you have a lot of big guys, if you do enough action, you should be able to like get enough space for like a Chris or a Drew to be able to attack. Um, but the bigger issue is like we had enough veteran savvy or the defense was stout enough to like prevent a big, like a literal, literal big, big little uh, mismatch from being exploited by the Cavs. So I, I think it was probably more notable that we were stout enough on defense to prevent anything from getting too out of hand, I would say. And, and also what this might've been like the first game of the season where all three of the big three scored 20 plus points on it. I'd have to go back to verify it. But anytime all three of those guys score that many points, it's going to be kind of hard to beat us. And like Kyle said, with Pat Connison playing well, again, off the bench, it's kind of a wrap at that point. Yeah. The Bucks also had a crazy high. I didn't realize this 86.5 defensive rebound percentage, which I don't know if the Cavs necessarily go for offensive rebounds. It would seem to make sense given their size, but that's just like, uh, you know, but who knows? I don't know. know. They're like, all right, we're going to have all height, but we're going to just, it's going to be transition defense only. (laughs) Everybody get back. It was, it was interesting because for the first half, at least, they had like Lori Markinen trying to body up Giannis, which Giannis was getting past him. And then they had like Evan Mobley and, Jared Allen, like diving at the rim as fast as possible to try and prevent Giannis from getting an easy bucket. The real issue for the Cavs was that Darius Garland, like way too small to be able to do anything against Drew Holiday, who just completely bodied him all game. And then late in the game, the Bucks just abused him on switches by anyone who was getting guarded by Darius Garland, running a go to the basket and, and get a bucket pretty easily. So not a good look for the point guard, uh, who, who has had a pretty decent year for them so far, but it, it, it was just, it just wasn't enough. And I think like you said, Kyle, you know, showed the veteran savvy of the Bucks being able to pull this out against a team that just probably isn't quite ready yet to, to, to win against them. But shout out Javante Smith. He looked good. He looked really good. And maybe that, and we, I know we kind of talked about it in the, in the chat earlier, but he, he might be like something. Javante Smith or Javante Smart? Do you mean Javante Smart? Yeah, Smart. Us? God damn it. Yeah, yeah. Javante no, Smart. Either way, it. he looks good. I, I will have to say that. He definitely looks like someone that could be something. I mean, I don't think he's going to be anything spectacular, but I'm just saying we can probably just cut ways with Shemi Ojale and just take, have him take his roster spot. Like, that's what I am saying. Okay, I, as someone who is 
like saw the one minute Mamu got in today against the Knicks and was like, wow, man, I thought he was going to get a stat line. I am in no position to say this, but I am I am just not buying any Javante Smart stock at all. Like I, I appreciate what he has done. I appreciate he did do like a little Euro step move. And I appreciate that he he goes fast. Uh, I forget what game it was, uh, but he was really feeling himself from three. I think it was the Friday game uh, against the Rockets when he where was he? Or I forget, there was one game where he was really feeling himself and trying to take some shots. Might have been the Heat game. I, I think was it was like, the Heat game. He had a yes, couple, of, yeah. couple of highlights. Oh, <laughs> one of one of four, which is which is fine. Like we've seen, you know, he probably all I would say is Javante Smart, stop doing your vitamins with Jordan Wara, and and maybe you'll be able to make the roster. Yeah, especially if we're down eight, you don't need to be. We don't need those <laughs> shot types <laughs> for sure. Read the room a little bit. Read the room just a little bit, Javante. But you know what? That's better and savvy. He'll pick that up over time. He's just so exuberant that he's getting so many minutes with this new team. I guess he is. I, I do like him a lot more than Justin Robinson, though. Uh, personally, so I there's there's something there. There's something there to do him. I, Okay, let's talk about the Heat game a little. Ugh. Drew Holiday had a fantastic game. 12 of 17, <laughs> 27 points, four rebounds, four assists. Um, Riley, when I tell you that, you know, I, you know this already, but when I tell you that P.J. Tucker, sort of fulcrum of their offense, uh, had 15 points and then also eight assists to go along with that, is that purely retribution for you saying that, he had two points in the last matchup and we appreciate and respect what you did for us. Or is it, is he just sort of not washed and we should have kept him? No, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't view it as re- revenge because I said it complimentarily. I said, he went out there and he said, I'm going to play the way that these home fans, these rabid Milwaukee Bucks home fans, they know me as, and he did it. <laughs> So good for him. It was not. It was not a slight against him, especially because again, that was like his stat line every single game for the Bucks. So I was just very used to that. Um, probably in this game, it was more so. Uh, I'm going to make a point of, and also the Heat had like three dudes available on the entire roster to play. Really, they were so shorthanded that I was like, well, I have to have a slightly uh, higher like output. Helps that Caleb Martin shoots from infinity from three. Uh, no, I don't. I, I think probably a game that if people are very upset about the PJ Tucker thing, and the next time they watch Semi Hood or Semi Hood, Shemmy Ojale, <laughs> 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 maybe Shemmy and Rodney Hood. Next time they see him play, they're like, "Well, I wish PJ were out there." That's definitely a quintessential high end. But I mean, if you look at the standard deviation of PJ Tucker games at this point in his career, a little bit on the far end. So I'm not going to look at it as like retribution per se. This was just an ugly, dumb game. Like, that that's the only way I can describe it. Ugly and dumb. You know, yeah. Caleb Martin going 6 away from 3. Max Struss. I've never even heard of this dude. He goes 4-7. And you're just sitting there thinking, what is, what is this nonsense? They combine to go for 44 points. And you're just... You just have to wonder, what is this game? P.J. Tucker, is, as mentioned, the fulcrum of the offense. It, it, Pat Connaughton doesn't shoot the ball well. Giannis has his doesn't play that well it was just a dumb game and the typical you go to Miami and it just looks like the team is still hung over from the night before which again it's Miami so you can go out any night in Miami and you'll have a good time it doesn't matter this isn't like just Friday night it's any night in Miami that's what it looked like I don't know this was it was an ugly game it was a dumb game because if you don't allow dudes that I never heard of going until the day of the game shoot their greatest night ever 
Milwaukee easily could win this, but that's basketball, and that's what basketball is in 2021, and it's just, it was so dumb. I, I, I'm just annoyed that I watched most of this game. I think this game drove home a little bit more like, yes, of course, Giannis plays poorly. We're going to have a tough time a bit regardless, even if Chris and Drew do have like a good game or a decent game for each of them respectively. Uh, does it feel like Pat Connaughton's role off the bench is like the stabilizer guy is uh, that's probably one of like the main themes of the season. Cause Pat has like one bad shooting night or like one so-so game and literally nobody else on the bench has like a pulse. I mean, Javante Smart has that step back three and a couple free throws. Rodney makes a two. (laughs) (laughs) A two-pointer, gets a free throw. Marcus Cousins does nothing. Like, the level of importance that Pat Connaughton has taken on for this bench lineup and, like, just stabilizing the non-starter minutes or even just being playing next to the starters, uh, this is the kind of game that really emphasizes that, which probably drives home going back to the early point about Dante. Good to have more talent out there if possible. Um, but like once he starts playing poorly and especially once Giannis starts playing poorly for him, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. So I think if anything, yes, the heat shot like crazy. It's like dudes that really shouldn't be in like mainline NBA rotations in the playoffs or like getting like Caleb Martin, who I think is on a two way goes crazy from three uh, or like Max Struess, like you said, Kyle. Um, but I think it probably drives home more so if I was thinking longer term, the importance of Pat Connaughton and how we're going to be able to address that. Or if it's just a matter of giving the other bench guys more looks because they only take a couple of shots, each of them. Um, and then the only other thing I would like to circle back on is we did just punk the heat pretty bad at home like last week or whatever, two weeks ago. So would not be surprised if this team, even if it's dudes who we've not heard of all that often, uh, if they had an extra little bit of oomph to play even better against the Bucks. Yeah, and also the Bucks going 12 of 39 for three while he go 22 of 47, you know. That, that'll do that'll, it. That'll also against make a most difference. teams, that'll do it. <laughs> Especially when the deficit's only not, when you only lose by nine. There might be, there might be some, you know, maybe if you had a few threes, you win this game. So it was a dumb yeah. game. I was thinking back to, uh, I was getting sort of flashbacks to last year, early start of last year, pre-championship, if anyone remembers this, when teams were breaking their franchise record for threes against the Bucks, tying their franchise record as the Heat did here. Lots of sort of outlier discussion, non-outlier, what's an outlier, I'm sick of the word outlier, all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or this last year, we would have heard that discussion for the Heat game. Now, the one thing I, I am interested in, and it happened in the Knicks game. It's been happening in a lot of these games. Is the, is the Bucks are second in the league in terms of opponent frequency of shots from three that are getting up. So if you look at cleaning the glass, they're um, allowing the second most opponent three pointers in terms of percentage of shots. So forty three percent of opponent shots are from three against the Bucks this year. We've definitely seen a lot of high volume ones lately as teams kind of try to take advantage and, and game the math against this Bucks team. The, the, one of the keys to their playoff success was that they were able to lower that that number significantly so that they were sort of middle of the pack amongst amongst playoff teams so i'm just curious how that's going to work whether that's going to change as the year goes on because it definitely has seemed like a theme where these teams are shooting a ton and a ton of threes to try to get get themselves into this game against the bucks and for the heat it happened to work out with some random guys making shots especially max Struess in the fourth quarter uh, probably doesn't help that our main defense is literally just blitzing the pick and roll like 
every single time. Every time. DeMarcus Cousins should not be blitzing pick and rolls. I don't care how bad he is in the zone drop. Just guess. Just guess. It'll do us more. It'll probably do us better because right now, uh, Bobby's pretty good at it, but like DeMarcus is definitely not. He does not have the athleticism. Depending on how you play that blitz, like you're taking a defender like totally out of the play and all it takes is like one or two passes away to get the defense scrambling. So I wonder how much of that is. Yes. I'm sure other teams are prioritizing it, but there's a lot of like what we're doing, attacking the ball handler that is opening us up to that. And I'm not sure if that's a personnel thing or if that's just something we're working on right now. Uh, but that's something I would point to is like, this is a pretty obvious we're taking ourselves totally off balance, especially depending on the personnel. If we try to blitz the ball handler, uh, and it doesn't go well. We learned that already with the Jason Kidd era. Blitzing is not a sustainable, like, over the course of a season strategy. So hopefully we'll continue to work at it, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's a great point. That happened a ton in the Cavaliers game, actually, as you saw, like, the couple past things. And then, you know, last year there was a couple, you know, some instances where, you know, when Brooks in the zone drop, you might have more players pulling up for threes. But in general, that's going to be a tougher shot than a catch-and-shoot three off a couple passing. Uh, and it makes sense. It makes sense in the zone drop too. Like the whole, the simplicity of it is like a ball handler. If once they start getting momentum, I like it makes sense that their momentum is just going to keep going towards the basket. Like it just mm-hmm. self generates its own gravity. And so this is, I think it's instructive for people to understand like why the zone drop works so well. Like there's this whole internal logic to it that now that we're seeing a totally different kind of defensive look, uh, is driving home like how or why it was so effective for so many years for Milwaukee. Are, Kyle, are the Heat the most annoying team uh, to lose to? Are there Who else would you have up there, or, or is someone worse? Right now, it feels like they're the most annoying because you would think after getting humbled and pants and embarrassed <laughs> in a national scale that they would humble themselves, and it just got more obnoxious. It, it's not quite 2019 Toronto. I'd say it's at <laughs> Philly. It's at Philly level, where it's just one of those – Beating them is just funnier because seeing them react is just funny. When you beat them, their reactions are always just hilarious. And that's where I'm at with the Miami Heat. They're all in that same tier between Miami, Philadelphia, Toronto. I think Kyle named the big three Boston. Don't forget Boston. But I would say of those other three, I mean, everybody hates Boston to a certain level, but those other three fan bases are so like over the top that when it goes down, and I hop on Twitter after the game, the knives are out. It is brutal. Last year when the heat <laughs> crashed out, I was like, oh my God, it's a murder. Everybody, like literally across the league, I didn't care. I would go to like random profiles, be like, whatever the Kings hashtag is, like Sacktown or something, be like, wow, this Kings fan is really, they're really getting after the heat. So I would say the heat are the most annoying because we need to be the champions for the rest of the league stomping the heat out and when we don't do that not only do the heat fans get to crow but then everybody else you can feel the disappointment from everybody else and it's like disappointing a parent you don't want to disappoint the rest of the league so yeah the heat are probably right now currently the most annoying team to lose to okay i I needed the insight kyle kyle 
lived through the 2019 Raptors trenches. Like that's, <laughs> you came out a different man, I think, from that. He he actually picked up an accent from his time spent <laughs> on the John, <laughs> fighting Canadians online about the Raptors. That's how deep in the trenches he was. Uh, yeah, that was a fun time. Winning that title was great because all those Toronto fans just had nothing for Milwaukee and I haven't heard from them since, which is good because those peasants just need to apologize and say sorry to me, okay? <laughs> oh god i love when kyle says that all right next game was the uh the rockets game much closer than i would have liked for most of it but the bucks absolutely decimate them with a 14 point advantage in the fourth quarter alone to to take back the win in 123 to 114 uh Giannis was not interested in being uh, deterred from the rim as he was against the heat he had 41 points on 19 shots which is crazy 17 rebounds, five assists, three steals, two blocks, which moved him into the uh, all-time Milwaukee Bucks block leader. So kudos to him. 21 from Chris and Bobby Portis. Pat Connaughton has 16. The Rockets, once again, high-volume team. 46 attempts from three. They shoot 41%. Uh, but I, th- I think this one started and ended with with Giannis, and especially it, the Bucks team kind of coming together in the fourth quarter, Kyle. Yeah, it was definitely a... Giannis was sick of what was going on and decided, okay, I'm just going to be myself and just dominate and no one on this court can stop me. Christian Wood can send all the subtweets to once a bud, but at the end of the day, he still needs to guard me and he can't guard me. It wasn't as surprising as well with the Rockets just because this is their scheme. This is what they've been doing for the last decade is hoist up a bunch of threes. So at some point, you figure those threes wouldn't fall. Those threes, that well would start drying up. The fact that they shot as poorly as they did in the fourth quarter and still shot over 41% from three is kind of shocking. But I think it was simply Giannis getting to the rim over and over and over and hitting his free throws. He was just unguardable. And when Bobby Portis is able to compliment him by also just getting to the rim and getting shots over and over and over, it's good to see. And then Chris Middleton, he'll just decide to show up in the fourth quarter. And it's like, okay, I'll I'll still play on you guys. I'm, I'm here. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, and Pat Connaughton hitting timely threes as always. So it was one of those games where had the Bucks lost, I would have been very annoyed because there's just not – there's maybe, what, two NBA players on the Houston Rockets? At most, two NBA players? And to lose that team would have been embarrassing. So I'm glad the Bucks got it together by the fourth quarter and won. I think we're going to look back on this and say – this was the point, the inflection point at which everybody turned on Boogie. Four fouls in four minutes. This Larry Sanders type stuff right there. Now, normally I would think that would like rally the fan base to them, right? We love when Larry would foul out in five minutes. That was like, that's why we paid him $40 million because that's what he did. Uh, but uh, so I'd just like to note it, make note that that happened. Uh, this game was funny because, again, continuing the trend of dudes who are on two ways. Garrison Matthews has like, the shooting game of his life from three. Uh, what was funny is we had difficulty stopping the Houston Rockets attacking the basket, but the Houston Rockets really had difficulty stopping us attacking the basket. And uh, sometimes when that's going to be the case, if you have the guy who is all world at attacking the basket, like Kyle said, that's going to generally help go your way. Giannis had some like crazy highlight plays, but I don't know how many dunks he had, but this had to have been like the most dunks he's had in one game on the season. The number of putbacks, the number of like gathers just goes right back up with it. 
alley-oops. I mean, whatever highlight you wanted from Giannis, you like stealing, throwing it off the backboard, and then it turning into like a Houston two. I mean, there was everything you could hope for a three. So it was very much the Giannis game. And I talked a couple of times earlier this season. I love when Giannis sees the mismatch, whether that be a singular guy or an entire other team. In this case, it was the entire other team. And he's like, I'm just going to go for it. And in a game like this, he goes all out 15 and 19, goes 10 to 14 from the free throw line. We got to the free throw line 32 times and only did 20. So, I mean, again, that drives home the fact that we just kept attacking and Houston tried to make it a shootout and they had some pretty hot shooting. I think they shot like nearly 50% from three in the first half, but that cooled down a little bit. And then just our consistent play attacking the basket, especially Giannis was enough to win on the road. And like, Yes, they're a team that just shoots a lot of threes. I don't even know if that's necessary. I'd have to look like they're year over year to see how that's changed now that it's a new coaching staff. Um, but they still were like on a seven game win streak after being totally in the doldrums, like road, I think, you know, road game for us, uh, probably still slightly intoxicated from Miami and to still go out there and get the win. I think that's all pretty impressive. So yes, the Rockets going to be a lowly team, but at the time when we faced them, not like a joke team necessarily. So good for us, I would say. I think my favorite part is just the sequence when the Rockets go up 98-93. Chris Milton hits the free throw. This is like 10 minutes left in the game. And then it's just Giannis three. Giannis makes second free throw. Giannis makes three. Giannis <laughs> makes two-point shot. <laughs> Bobby Portis makes a three. Giannis makes two-point shot. Giannis makes two-point shot. Giannis makes second free throw. <laughs> it's like, okay. That that is a good description of how that game went, and then Chris Milton right at the end. That's when Chris Milton just goes, and I'm he's just deciding to score. It was just funny though. I was just like, all right, Giannis just deciding I'm just gonna score every basket now from here on. Just give me the ball, guys, and I'll take care of the rest. Well, and and a reminder that yes, Giannis is not necessarily always the closer, and that he is the guy who gets the very last shot. But over the course of the twelve minutes of the fourth quarter. For a couple of years now, he's been like leading the league and scoring in fourth quarters. Again, going right back to this. He knows the mismatch. We have to climb our way back into this one. Give me the ball and I will just consistently go. Like whoever, who's the guy coming off the bench for Houston? Um, I'm going to send Goon. I'm going to totally, oh. the Turkish guy. Yeah. Uh, wow. So he like, he was bothering Bobby all night. And then I, <laughs> the Rockets announcer was like, oh, and now send Goon trying to, he's trying to guard Giannis. And Giannis just, one up with the arm and the dude went into the stands. I mean, it's that type <laughs> of mismatch and Giannis is like, please just get out of the way. So uh, again, Giannis is not a closer in the traditional, I take the last shot sense, but over the course of the 12 minutes in this game, especially he will do all the scoring you need to get your team back into it or hold on to the lead. Yeah. Sengun was doing some dirty stuff in the post though, to the Bucks <laughs> defenders. That was what an odd guy to watch. I mean, credit mm-hmm. to the, to the Rockets for being able to watch him. DJ Augustine, old friend, three points, one of three. He stared the bench down too. He hit all three in front of the Bucks bench and he stared us down. I was like, I get it. He, was yeah. like, I respect it. I get it. He then proceeded to like, anytime there was like a player, like barely above like average man's height, he like turned it over when he tried to pass it through anyone. But you know, kudos to him. I mean, he has to live in, he's down in Houston now. He barely played last year and, like you said, right? I mean, seven seven straight games, that's nothing to sneeze at. They're playing well. They beat the Nets, I think, a couple nights before. Granted, that was without KD, so not quite as much credence to that. But Rockets played well. They have the kind of uh, attacking offense that could be able to hurt the Bucks, given the Bucks give up a lot of three-pointers. And, and the Bucks took advantage of it. Like, they 
have so often since the championship run and pulling it out in the fourth quarter. Uh, not much else to take away from that one. And then the final game, I, I doubt we're going to get much from this one either. A 112-97 drubbing of the New York Knicks, who unfortunately were without a lot of players. Obi Toppin was out. Um, and in this game, uh, excuse me, Alec Burks was also out. And then RJ Barrett was a late scratch too. There's the health and safety protocols are really ravaging the league right now. And uh, Wesley Matthews was out for the Bucks due to the health and safety protocol. So I don't think we've gotten any official word on whether he was a close contact or whether he's, he's tested positive or anything like that. So hoping for the best for Wes, but uh, it, this one was, I don't know, this was a kind of an odd affair because the, the Bucks were up by 10 after one, the Knicks scored 16 points, which was rough to watch, but you know, sometimes that happens. And then Bucks get big, get up big. And then all of a sudden, you know, Quentin Grimes, who's having his first start ever, always starts, starts hitting a bunch of threes or Derek Rose hits some floaters then they kind of chase it back. And then the Bucks hit a couple of threes and they're up big again. And then all of a sudden Grimes gets hot again. The Knicks make it, but make it a game again. But then the Bucks balloon the lead again. And then the Knicks fight back. And then, I, I mean, it just eventually got to the point that the Bucks were just up big enough going into the fourth quarter that the Knicks probably weren't going to make it a game. But then they still kind of made it a game. I don't know. This one was a weird one. I, I didn't think anyone played particularly well for the Bucks. Bobby Portis was pretty good. Uh, what? This was today. Oh, excuse me. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Become an NBA player today, Adam. What are you talking about? That is that is one of the rudest things I've ever I've ever said. Uh, Rodney Hood. <laughs> let's lead with him. Rodney Hood. 23, <laughs> 23 minutes, five of five from the field, three assists, uh, fourteen points, a whopping plus one, which is rough. But uh, Rodney Hood. We haven't talked much about him. Riley, please go ahead. You have the floor. He was looking like a young Giannis out there with how much he was. He was he was dictating the play. Uh, um, yeah, uh, Rodney Hood. So obviously, if you make your shots, if you make literally all of your shots, you're going to have a good game. So I'm glad that he did that. I would say, obviously, being perfect from all three levels of the floor, unsustainable for Rodney. But it does kind of feel a little bit more indicative of his past like two weeks or so. It's not that he's been like a standout player or that he's suddenly going to become like a huge part of the rotation, but he seems to be getting a lot more of a feel for like what his positioning is on defense and his like playing off ball motion to get open for threes uh, a lot better now than it used to be. Uh, So I think he is a guy who is still going to continue to be like limited by his athleticism. The fact that he played 23 minutes, I mean, you know, had you told me when we signed up like, Oh, he'll get like 20 plus minutes, a couple games this year. Like, Oh, that's, that's pretty good, I would say. So I think he's a guy who will be at limited, but if he can make up for it with like familiarity and just a little bit of craft off ball, he should not be a guy who's like in our in any sort of like serious playoff rotation, probably. But for the sake of the regular season, a couple of minutes here or there, like decent guy off the bench, I think he's rounding more into what his like ideal form would have been when we picked him up. Uh, so I want to give a shout out to you, Rodney. This was of anybody the Rodney Hood game. Can't argue it. (laughs) It was definitely a game that started at 11 o'clock Wisconsin time. And I never want to see that happen again, unless it is a Christmas game. And even then I don't want to see it. It was, it was not pretty for the first half. And thankfully Chris was deciding I'm going to try and end this game as soon as possible. And he really came out hot in the first half. I think he had like 16 or or something points. 
Um, and then, yeah, Quentin Grimes, who apparently was a good shooter in college, so it's not like this guy can't shoot the ball. He just got ridiculously hot. And Derrick Rose doing normal Derrick Rose things. I, I don't know. I felt like this was a, okay, let's just try our best. And thankfully, there's someone else other than Pat Connaughton that came off the bench and contributed. Um, it, I think Pat Connaughton and George Hill were the only players off the bench to score points, which... My good thing Dante's coming back. That's all I got to say about the bench. But I don't know. Grayson Allen was hitting some shots. You know, Chris, like like I said, Chris was definitely the guy in the first half. And then Rodney Hood and Yadis kind of took over from there in the second half. It, the Knicks are just a weird. Obviously, they were shorthanded. But, you know, Julius Randle was really, really quiet. I only took nine shots in 35 minutes, which is just staggering. Evan Fournier probably took too many shots. And that was very helpful for the Bucs. But. Yeah, I just don't know. This Knicks team is weird because it has a bunch of guys that you would just think, okay, sure, why not? And then you watch them play together, and it's like this team, especially with the Thibodeau coach team, this team should not be getting eviscerated as badly as they are in defense. But because of the players that they have, they're going to get eviscerated every time in defense. Yeah, this one, uh, so yes, Chris Middleton should be the guy that gets the standout, especially in the first half, I think. This, like, when Chris is aggressive in the right ways, it can be like, you're like, this is definitely, like, the guy that we are paying all this money to. It's just, it can be frustrating sometimes because he'll be there, and then, like, a lot of, this is a common issue for a lot of players that aren't Giannis, but, like, he'll be there for a quarter or two, and then he'll kind of fade a little bit, whether that be, like, a strategic thing or whatever, but he he just won't get that many shots up. Um, Somewhere between 17, like what he got now, like 17 shots and 20 shots with hopefully like over half of them being from three. That's the perfect mix for Chris. Perfect mix of you're like our best consistent three-point shooter. Use the gravity around you to or like even just create your own step back shot. And then enough interior like attack in the basket or moves on the baseline or mid-range to like appease him, keep the defense honest. Like I think... Uh, I think Lisa Byington was saying on the broadcast this was the seventh straight game Chris has had where he scored 20-plus points. Good. That's exactly he's rounding into form. I would love if he continues to play aggressive like this because it raises the floor of this team so significantly once Chris plays aggressively because he's a good offensive player. Like, that's why we're paying as much. Like, he has all the skills that he just how many years in a row now he just has to get the shots up so in games like this where he's getting to 20 plus he's obviously getting the shots up there's a reason why he's putting up these averages keep that heading forward chris that's my fingers crossed my advice to him even though he doesn't need my advice yeah i'm pretty sure this is two straight games with 10 plus attempts from three which is kind of surprising for him that's usually not as big a part of his shot diet but but i do like seeing him do that i especially like the i like the early shot clock transition three I have no clue what he's shooting on it. It seems like it's a very high percentage shot, but it's the numbers are probably just like, okay. But I do like that shot for him. It looks cool though. When he does it, you're like, oh, this is for sure. Yeah, oh, yeah. You, you think it's going in, but yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then, you know, I feel bad because I said no one had a, had a great game, but Giannis did have a triple double. He had 20 points, 10 rebounds. The 10 rebounds is kind of sus. I, I thought he only had nine and then they gave it to him after. <laughs> Um, and then also 11 assists for him. I, I didn't think it was his best game. I thought he, he was seeing the floor pretty well, but I, did, I didn't think he was he was dominating the Knicks by by any stretch. It was nice to see Chris. I was really surprised by that seven straight 20-point 20, 20 games from Chris because I thought he's been a little bit slow since coming back from COVID. But it's good to see him getting aggressive, 
Bobby Portis was, wow, he was having some fun out there. He was, anytime he got the ball and had, uh, honestly had a defender on him, he was like, I'm going to take this shot. I'm going to do a turnaround jumper. I'm going to do whatever I can to get this up. Drew, Drew was quiet, but in the third quarter, actually, he was really, really key with some timely buckets. I think like eight of his 13 points came in the third because Grimes and Rose were just hitting triples in the third, trying to make it a game, trying to get it close. And then all of a sudden, every time they would get it semi-close, Holiday would come down and and body up some sort of nick and, and be able to get to the rim and get an easy shot. So credit to Drew Holiday for having a 13.5 assist game, but surely making himself known and, and getting some quality buckets and timely buckets for the for this Milwaukee team. Yeah, he was, uh, I think Evan Fournier was the primary defender, and Evan Fournier is the definition of getting cardio on defense. He was just out there like, ah. All right, he got past me, guys, and then Drew would be like right at the basket. So uh, not the most stingy uh, defense they had to get around, but for Drew Holiday, that can be confusing sometimes when you expect a defender to actually defend you and then they don't. That can kind of throw you off. So credit to Drew for having the veteran savvy to not get thrown off by Evan Fournier not defending him. How did he, well, remember when Boston ahead, fans thought this was going to be the guy to help them out? That was funny. That was funny. <laughs> I think Knicks fans thought the same exact thing. So uh, can't, <laughs> Applebard doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, I should, one final guy, or actually two guys, since we're almost talking about the entire damn lineup that played. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins, bad game from him. Again, uh, just kind of falling over a lot. A lot of fouls, death staring. Uh, his, like, shot selection, like, when he is on ball, his offense is really good. I think he's still figuring out where to position himself off ball. Uh, and you can kind of tell because, like, when he gets the ball, he like, uh, I don't know, he's just sort of in no man's land, it feels a lot of the time, even when the ball gets to him. And his feel with it is really good, but off ball is still a work in progress. And then obviously defense, I have no idea why he's blitzing, but he shouldn't. Uh, and Jordan Wara is officially a guy who, if you make your first basket, you stay in the game. If you don't, you are not seeing the game until it is a blowout. So uh, congrats to you, Jordan. Start making some shots because that'll help you play longer if you make them. Yeah, I wasn't expecting Jordan Wara uh, minutes that early. And also, welcome back, George Hill. He didn't really do much, but he was a plus 10. So good on you, George. Glad to see you're back after being gone for like four or five games with a knee thing. So, yeah. Jordan Wara trying to do a behind-the-back dribble and split between defenders like one minute (laughs) after... He had taken a shot the second it touched his hands after he stepped on the court, which it was like a fine three or whatever. But um, that dude has turned into a turnover machine, and it is it is kind of crazy the uh, the way that he cannot handle any sort of pressure or double team because he seems to be finding it with his dribble, and it is not going well for him. It is uh, he is certainly kind of down in the dumps right now and i'm not i I was surprised he got in but with with no west matthews i'm sure bud was looking for a little replacement minutes you can like understand what in theory okay if you just like if you're the catch and shoot guy okay that seems feasible or if you're like guy who just has an iso defender and you can do like a move to make some space that should be like all he does do not dribble with the ball do not attack the basket because your numbers are not great around there. Like just pass or shoot right away. And that's like a lot of guys on the team. Like the number of guys I'm like, please don't do a dribble move. Rodney Hood, not doing a dribble move. Don't do it. And then they do it anyhow. He just happens to be way more prone. Like, And you could tell like his dribble is relatively loose. Like the number of times it looks like he has to like reach out to try and get the ball from like 
when he's tossing between hands. Like it's very obvious that uh, there are some strengths that he has and some pretty pronounced weaknesses. And dribbling the ball between traffic is one of those weaknesses. That green light is way too green. <laughs> yeah, Bud should be like, look, I want you to go out there, but do not shoot it. That's your challenge this game. Like do anything but shoot the ball. Let's see if you can like just focus on something else. Do something other than shoot the ball, please. All right, well, we'll end that on the discussion of the, the games, the week's games with Jordan Wara. We're going to go to break, and on the other side of this, we'll close it out with our miscellaneous stuff, so stay tuned. All right, we are back. It's time for miss, for rapid fire. Riley, take it away. Okay, uh, first question. Are you guys amusement park kinds of guys? Not really, no. Like, I didn't mind them, but... Like if I went, it was cool, but I didn't. It wasn't like a big must do. I was a huge scaredy cat wuss as a kid, so I basically was too scared to ever go on roller coasters. And then I did roller coasters once at Six Flags, and it's been so long that I am now terrified of roller coasters again. So no, not a huge amusement park guy. Okay, very good. Uh, my mom's a roller coaster freak, so we would go to Six Flags like multiple times during the summer so i love amusement parks uh okay will wes boogie or both or so okay so wes boogie both or neither make it past their non-guaranteed date which i think is like january 7th or something boogie yes wes no i'm gonna go both kind of feels like they both have like a place in the especially broke out doesn't make sense to marcus go and then wes is just like reliable so i would i would think both too um what is the nerdiest personal hobby that you have and by, by nerdy i mean like it based on objective what the rest of society deems to be nerdy even though that's not like a term people use anymore other than obviously being a basket blogger because that, that goes without saying on the brew podcast um, I don't are, know. You guys cool? are you guys cool if you guys are cool that's cool. I'm not I'm just trying to think uh, of which one is the nerdiest yeah <laughs> I I mean I I like to read a lot of sci-fi and a lot of fantasy books like I, I just finished off watching The Expanse and I'm a huge Dune fan and I'm basically just searching for the next sci-fi fantasy series that I'm able to start because those are the only types of books that I can really pay enough attention to to get get through, and they don't require as much of my my brain. So probably either that or paying a lot of attention to um, video game. I just watched the video game awards. Oh, I did anyone too. else watch those? Those are those are an annual thing for me. I used to write about video games in college uh, for many years, so I, I still do that, and I watch E three like every year. So I like I, I always pay attention to that kind of stuff. So that's probably my nerdy stuff. Yeah, the video game award. This is the first year I've watched it, and we need to talk about that pot, pot friend. That was, I swear, someone was on drugs when they thought of that. And I don't think there was enough drugs to get through that. I, I, I feel bad because I know it's a meme, and I always watch it with my best friend. We watched it for like, I've watched, I've watched this thing for like fifteen years, and so I was like, he was like, oh god, not pot friend, and I was like, what the hell is that thing? Why does the pot have arms? And he's like. It's a meme. You just gotta go look it up. It, I don't know what was going on with Pot Friend. That was strange. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind it. I, I'm not a, like I want to be more of a gamer, but I know with money and life, that's just a little bit harder. But I would say my the nerdiest thing is probably I watch a lot of anime. That's probably it. 
Oh, do you have a top? I know it's hard to say top anime, but do you have a recommendation for the listeners out there for anime anime you would suggest to people? I mean, there's always Naruto. Like, you can't go wrong. That's probably the easiest one to, like, ease yourself into. Um, Attack on Titan is really good. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Hunter and Hunter is interesting. I think it, it definitely is a weirder situation. Um, yeah, those are probably the ones. And if you want to really commit yourself to watching anime, the One Piece, but good God, good luck. It's it's still going and it should have ended like 10 years ago. It's still, hold on. It's still going. I remember turning on like yes. Nickelodeon or uh, Cartoon Network Adult Swim at like yes. midnight and be like, oh, it's still going. God, yeah, that's the problem. It it should end by now. And yeah, nope. Okay. Uh, okay. Will Dante start a game this season? Yes. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yep. Okay. Do you think it'll be because he earned his place back from Grayson Allen? He outplayed no. Grayson, or did no? Answer? No. Although okay. he he will have earned it. Okay. <laughs> Very good. Um, is there any chore or manual task? So it just like chore that you actually enjoy doing, or like that you don't mind? Like, oh, I have to do the dishes. Like, I I, I really don't mind, or I actually like doing the dishes. Like, it's very therapeutic it's nice for me to look at the dirty dishes and then i get through it all and it's all stacked drying i like doing the dishes for example sweeping sweeping and mopping the floor i actually i, I kind of don't mind any sort of menial task or labor as long i usually will just put like listen to a podcast so i really don't mind doing any of that kind of stuff and especially right now it, it also look my wife will never listen to this, but it's kind of nice to have like a break from like watching the baby for a second so i can just kind of do some <laughs> dishes and stuff yeah. Okay. Final question. Uh, what would you guess in six games, six appearances so far this season is DeMarcus Cousins's net rating for the Bucks? I feel like he was on the floor during some like runs early in the season. So I'll say he's at like a minus two net rating. I'm going to go plus two. He is at plus 19.6 so far this season. <laughs> he has a 124.1 offensive rating and a 104.4 defensive rating uh, in 12.2 minutes average a game. So hmm. okay. he's had some crazy plus minus. I really have this past week of games to like throw them off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. That's all I got for rapid fire this week. Those are good. All right. Film review, Kyle. All right. So another uh, Christmas rom-com for you uh this time it is <laughs> love hard um it stuck. is it related to die hard is it or walk hard it <laughs> so one of the argue one of the big points is the couple argues whether die hard is a christmas movie or not uh, okay and then Never so one of, of them hates die hard <laughs> like one of them hates die hard doesn't think it's a christmas movie while the other does and then the other one uh love actually like one of them hates love actually but the other enjoys it so that's kind of how the title comes but no, it was good. Um, Nina Dobrev, if people recognize that name. Vampire Diaries? Yep. Yep. I knew someone else would get that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she is one of the main characters and kind of flies out uh, to meet this guy that she had met online. Turns out to be a catfish, but the actual guy does exist. That's kind of the stories, how that all works out. It, it was actually pretty solid. Like, I had a good time with that movie. It was not as toxic and terrible as last <laughs> week's. Um, I don't know. It's your standard rom-com with a little bit of Christmas thrown in. I, I, I give it like a f- five and a half or six out of 10. Like it's solid. Like it's not bad. And it's on Netflix. So. Very cool. 
do you think we're gonna when we get close to christmas you're gonna start going deep into the vault for like you know it's a wonderful life or whatever and it's like christmas carol or are you gonna keep with the the crappy rom-coms no i think i'm the well is done with crappy rom-coms but like maybe i'll get into like a christmas in connecticut or i'll probably get into a classic i'm sure there'll be some classics i will have to do the grinch i don't think i've done the grinch i had to have live action or animated well I, i i like the animated more but i don't mind the live action these are all. I'm. I'm. I'm spoiling future podcasts. I shouldn't be doing. This. I, I just a, don't know. I feel like I've done in the past. So that's why I got to double check. What's a Christmas in Connecticut? Is that a classic? Oh yeah, it's like an old, like black and white, huh. like 1930s or 40s, maybe even. Like it's definitely like a black and white one. Emma's family watched it all the time. So interesting. Maybe I will have to check that one out. I've never heard of that one. Yeah. No, I have no clue where it is, but yeah, it's definitely. It is definitely an, an older one. All right. Well, so love hard. What would you say? Six, five, five point five, six. Yeah. Okay. It's solid. Yeah. I know they're all like this, but the title of this one especially sounds like something spit out of an algorithm. Like, like, let's take this little Christmas movie thing, Christmas movie thing. Oh, yeah. Together. <laughs> At first, I didn't I get why s- that was the title. Then as you watch the movie, it's like, oh, now I get it. I was going to say, Hollywood writers will do whatever. They'll be like, you know how people think Die Hard isn't a Christmas movie? <laughs> Love actually isn't. But what if like two people met, but like they had the same opinion? Like They'll just throw out anything. And you know what? I respect Hollywood for that. You know, it worked. It worked. I watched it. I didn't mind it. It's not the worst Netflix Christmas movie that's out there. Good. That's great. That's great to hear. So Love Hard, <clears throat> check it out. Don't watch Holiday as a reminder. All right. So predictions this week. We have four games coming up. This week will actually be five games in total this week, which is the, the busiest week we'll have of the Bucks' entire season. It's a, it's a crazy amount of games. So we've got at Boston Monday to close out the four-game road trip. Home versus the Pacers on Wednesday, a.k.a. the Dante game. Friday, away against the Pelicans. And then they come back home Saturday evening for a game against the Cavaliers. Kyle, what say you? I'm going to say 4-0. I, I'm a little wary of the Boston game, but I, I think with it being later enough, that's not going to be, you know, immediately 24 hours. So I think they beat Boston. They dominate the Central Division, and the Pacers are out of sorts. Plus, Dante's going to have a triumphant return. The Pelicans are terrible and bad, and I don't even know who's on that team still. And the Cavs, while they are going to be pesky, I still think Milwaukee finds a way through them. So I'm going to say 4 0. Uh, I agree with Kyle. The Boston game's the shakiest just because Boston is probably the least, I don't know, they're 10th in the East right now, so maybe they're not the least bad team, but they're all kind of bad teams. Actually, the Cavs are probably the best team we'll play, but uh, I can't see us losing against any of these teams. We've either beat them already, they're really, really bad, or like they're just Boston. And it, it is technically a back-to-back, but like Kyle said, it's not like a night-to-nights uh, so you have a little bit more time for rest. So I'm hopeful they'll be okay for that. So 4-0 this week. Yeah, let's make it 4-0 across the board. I think they'll pull this one out. I think the toughest one will be maybe that Cavs game Saturday night, uh, the the road game coming back to a home game back-to-back. So we'll see how the Bucks do. Hopeful for a positive week. We had a, a decent one this last one at 3-1. and one. Uh, But for now, we're going to close it out. Make sure to go to brewhoop.com for all our usual columns, the Monday morning media roundup, Vance progress report on Fridays. We'll have John's extended forecast. Anything Mitchell uh, writes during the week, I brought back the weekly Wednesday wrap-up. So stay tuned to brewhoop.com, share the podcast with your friends, review it, and we will talk to you again soon.